You're listening to The Warren Whitlock Show, your source for what works, what's new, and what's cool in the world of business, marketing, and social media. Now, here's your host, Warren Whitlock. I'm talking to Rohit Bhargava, who is the author of a new book called Not Obvious. So I thought the obvious thing to do was to uh, interview him and put it on the this, on this show today. And uh, I know from past experience that this is a guy that... Uh, knows what's going on and follows trends and and figures things out. And I, I thought, uh, you know, obviously with somebody we would want to talk to here. So good morning. Morning. Well, nice to be chatting with you again, Warren. It's always a pleasure. Yeah. It's always is. And I've followed your career and what you're doing. And, I've, and you know, uh, boy, I think a lot of people would like to do what you've done. You're doing quite a bit of writing and these books are selling well. And how did you get to where you are that you feel comfortable about uh, doing this and people want to hear hear what you have to say? Uh, well, you know, I mean, I think you and me both probably hear lots of uh, romanticized ideas of entrepreneurship and, and kind of this idea of being a born entrepreneur. And I think I'm not. <laughs> um, <laughs> I spent uh, more than 10 years working at big agencies as an employee, um, doing marketing strategy on behalf of somebody else. Uh, and it was great. You know, I don't regret any of it. Um, and, you know, about two years ago, I branched out and left uh, the agency I was working with at, at that time, which was Ogilvy, and started my own uh, company so that I could do exactly what you said, which is uh, write more, go around the co- uh, country and around the world speaking more, and just doing things that I generally loved to do. Um, and so that's what I'm doing now. But I'd say I eventually earned my entrepreneurship. I wasn't kind of born to do it. <laughs> um, but it's great. I, I really enjoy what I'm doing now. Right, right. Yeah. Well, and I've been somebody that's, that's never felt fit to, to hang out with uh, corporations. I know it, early on, I felt like, oh, I'm not, <laughs> I, I'm not good enough to work in big business. Um, or, and, and actually, the, I remember the first time I found out about, uh, about baby boomers. And that I'm I'm a young baby boomer. Oh no, that big population wave was all going to be in there. I'll never make it the CEO suite. Uh, little did I know that it was no place I wanted to go. <laughs> it took me a few years to figure that out. And um, uh, and it's 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 interesting. The majority of people in the majority history of the world have been either entrepreneurs or just you know farming their land and taking care of themselves and and not not depending on a on a paycheck coming in. And uh, many people feel it's a risk in doing that. So, well, and congratulations, you've you've done it well. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so, uh, so that was that was the less than less than obvious. But why why non obvious? Why are you calling the book that? Well, I think anybody who's spent any time reading uh, blog posts or magazine articles about trends knows that. Uh, so many of them are things that you kind of read and you're like, well, you know, thanks a lot for the news flash, but I kind of already knew that, you know. And so one of the things I talk about in the book is that there's so much trend prediction that's obvious. You know, somebody tells you that uh, people are using their mobile phones more frequently or more hours per day or mm-hmm. um, that, uh, you know, that uh, we have, we need more integration in marketing. I mean, these are the sorts of things that we hear about all the time and they're just so blindingly obvious that you're kind of – left scratching your head and thinking, well, you know, that list of the five social media trends I should watch in 2015, it's kind of a waste of my time because I didn't really learn anything from that. And there's yeah. no discipline applied to it either. And so for me, uh, a non-obvious trend is, 
the definition of it's very simple. I try what I try and do is I try and uh, find a unique observation about what I call the accelerating present. So it's something that's right. already starting. You know, it's already sort of happening, but it's accelerating, and it's not quite something that everybody's noticed. And so non-obvious to me is, I mean, it's a title for a book, but it's also kind of a promise that I make to myself and to the reader that what they're going to read in the book is not going to be the same thing they've heard everywhere else. Right, right. I, I, I understand what you're saying, and I'm thinking about it in, in the times I talk to people, though, and there's a, there's a lot of times when when you uh, when, you know you get talking to somebody that's been a senior executive for for years and been watching social media and says, uh, well, you know, is that going to blow over? Are people going to stop using Twitter and Facebook? Um, and there and to me, it seems like obvious that you know it doesn't really matter if Twitter and Facebook completely went away. We're not going to start stop wanting to be connected in the ways that they were able to do that. Uh, so the people aren't going to change. The, the The company may or may not survive in, in over over years. So I, I'm sometimes thinking that what you're finding is things that should be obvious, but what I call common sense. Um, do yeah, you, I think, do you um, get the kind of reaction? Yeah, I think. Well, I think there is a temptation to boil a trend down to an example. And mm -hmm. a lot of my method that I use and that I talk about in the book is about this idea that I call trend curation. And to me, trend curation, sort of inspired by what curators in museums do, isn't about making an entire room about one painting, right? Like that would mm -hmm. be a museum experience. The experience <laughs> would be there's a theme, there's an artist, there's you know something that brings all of these things together. And now here's many different things that you can experience that all fit that theme. And so if you think about trends the same way, it's why a lot of my trends go across various industries. They don't just say, well, here's a financial trend, or here's a retail trend, or here's a pharmaceutical trend, which I think a lot of people tend to do. And instead, mm -hmm. you know, almost every one of my trends has examples from different industries, from different countries. And what I'm basically doing is putting the pieces together and saying, well, this is a trend because it's happening in multiple places. Mm -hmm. That's that's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another thing comes up, something I'm talk about all the time that uh um that the we want to so many people were brought up in the well all of us were brought up in the in the 20th century when when or, or at least that's the, still the way they were being taught is that if you want to if you want to be in business if you want to sell something you've got to push it out and everybody's got to find out about it and the power of mass media and mass uh distribution and everything became mass uh, and we, we're still trying to push that, even in the developing world, that we're going to take something from here and go and replicate it in some place. And we found that you know they didn't need to wire for phones; they skipped and did cell phones. Um, and there's there's different ways to do it and satisfying markets. Uh, so I I kind of prefer a pull rather than a push approach to almost everything. Um, and when you're following when you're looking at these trends, uh, is is are you is there any kind of agenda? Are we pushing these trends, or do they do they pull us? Well, it's interesting that you would ask because I think that a lot of times uh, there is a bias and an agenda behind trends. I mean, one of the examples I use in the book, kind of jokingly, is I say, you know, if you work at a company that sells hammers and you declare 2015 the year of hammers, right. <laughs> obviously you're basically trying to promote a trend because that's what you sell. Um, and so what I specifically try and do is I try and avoid 
doing that and having that sort of bias um, because I think that that lessens the value. And, and, you know, I have the luxury of doing that because, you know, at the end of the day, like my business, so to speak, is, is strategy and, and speaking about these things. And so it doesn't uh, matter for me whether the trend happens to be a little bit more in one direction towards more empowerment or less empowerment because it's not going to dramatically change my business. I can talk about it either way. Well, yeah, I, I know when I do work as futurists, I meet meet a lot of people where they say, I'm going to make predictions because, and predictions we're going to need next time. You know, there's always going to be somebody guessing the odds with, at, the, at the casino. Yeah. Um, and, um, uh, and, and it's, it, I think it takes a personal commitment of saying, instead of saying that, well, you know, you, you've, you've spun that uh, roulette wheel 14 times without anything coming close to your number, so you're due. Well, that's um, and that, that, isn't, that isn't a trend. <laughs> no, it's not. And, and I think, you know, the other thing that, um, that I absolutely uh, sort of believe strongly against is this idea of saying, well, a trend is something that you can predict now that's going to happen in 20 years. Uh, right. And I think that's just complete guesswork um, because nobody in 1997 would have predicted Twitter. Uh, right. And, you know, and that was less than 10 years afterwards. Um, right. So what I specifically do and the reason why I do this, I actually do this report every year. Um, so every year I release a new list of 15 non-obvious trends at the beginning of each year. And I've done it for the last five years now. And part of the reason is because I believe that if we can get better at predicting the short-term future, that's where you can really start to impact your business, your career, um, you know, what you do to make that experience better and to basically make more money, right? Um, right. And so that's where I tend to focus. And then at the end of this book, actually, one of the things that I do for the first time is I go back over the last four years' worth of trend reports, and there's a pretty extensive appendix at the end of the book that rates each one of the trends that I've done in the past based on the longevity and whether it's still mm -hmm. a trend today and whether it isn't. So, you know, I try to take a pretty honest, direct approach to what I got right, what I didn't get right, and how I'm aiming to get better and better at this, and then, therefore, how I can teach other people how to do it as well. So, yeah, I, I, I'm thinking some of the things that people think are non-obvious really, really become obvious as you study them, and then... Uh, I, I, the other thing is longevity. I, I, <laughs> I find when I look back and say the world, I talked to somebody last night uh, having a conversation, and the guy's uh, probably 10 years younger than me, and I was telling him about things I remember that he didn't know about, uh, or that he was, you know, a small child when I was graduating high school. And uh, um, it was a fascinating discussion because I was remembering, oh, yeah, life used to be so much different. But then, but when when you look at like things closer in, you say like, well, I pretty much knew when Twitter was around, and I joined and started using it, and went through you know what I call the three stages of Twitter acceptance, you know, not totally not getting why somebody's talking about what they had for breakfast to uh, figuring out how you might monetize it. I got to make some money, and then you know ultimately finding out, oh, this is a tool I can use for a lot more than hey, want to buy something. And, um, and, and I saw that, I saw that obvious, but I've seen that in a million different things before. And it just seemed, it seemed obvious to me, I guess it was non-obvious. Uh, you know, I did have the first, first book about Twitter, but we decided to call it Twitter revolution because we knew that something was changing yep. and it was going to go forward. 
We use the word mobile in the subtitle, and, and we're still calling every year the year of mobile now. Um, <laughs> that it's um, you know, one of the things that you, you definitely realize in, in doing that is that um, you see one thing start to take off, and sometimes you kind of get that idea, or you get that article, or you get that, that um, you know, kind of burst, and you're not exactly sure what it means. And one of the things that I talk about in, um, in the book, and I kind of lay out like five habits of being a great trend curator. And one of them, probably the most surprising one, is uh, being fickle. And you know what I mean by that, because we don't tend to see being fickle as a good thing, right? Generally, it's it's considered to be a negative thing. Um, but being fickle when it comes to ideas means that you can capture an idea, save it, and not dwell on it, and mm. just be comfortable with the fact that sometimes it's going to make sense later on. And so. Very specifically, what I do with the trend report every year is I gather information for an entire year, starting very specifically on January fifteenth, which is my birthday. So I, you know, it's a mm -hmm. nice moment in time to reset, and I gather information for the entire year. And then at the end of the year, I put that into a process where I curate out what the trends are going to be, and it's over that longer time period. It's not, you know, trying to spend a week coming up with a with a blog post. Um, this is a thing that I do over the entire year. And now it's become a habit for me. You know, I've been doing it for the last five years, and I, so I just anytime I see something interesting, you know, if I'm at an event with you and, and I'm listening to you on stage, and you say something interesting, I'll write it down and I'll put it in my folder, and I'll keep it. Um, and then at the end of the year, I have so much material to go through that uh, the process of defining and curating and, and kind of honing those trends down becomes. Uh, um, Difficult because of too much information, not because of too little. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Uh, just I just uh, uh, read a post by uh, Brian Solis that said uh, uh, that he uh, had cut a book down from 150,000 words to 80,000 words, and you know he's talked about which books have come out while he start while he's been working on this one. Still don't know what it's about, but um, I was immediately intrigued and going like, "Yep." I've done that. <laughs> so, yeah. Wrote three times as much as what I need to create a book. <laughs> yep. I, uh, yeah. I always, so, um, I always do. I mean, when in order to get to fifteen trends, my first pass usually starts with maybe um, sixty or seventy possible trend concepts. So, same thing. So I know in the in the book you get to uh, telling us uh, some 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 action items and, and ways to use these trends. But first, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say, what, what is the, what, what is the uh, trend that, uh, that, uh, that you were surprised to see happen, and, or right or wrong, that you looked at something and said, well, maybe on that, and then it really took off, or didn't it? Uh, well, I mean, in the past, there's been, there's been a bunch. I mean, I had um, uh, content uh, curation as kind of an early trend way back that that uh, was sort of before people started talking about it a lot and that kind of turned into something much bigger um, I was talking about uh, financial humanity I think they called it like brand new bank humanity human banks or something like that in like mm -hmm. report three or four years ago and then you started seeing all of this stuff come out about um, banks creating all of these ways of being more being more human so there's been some really interesting ones in the past and I think in, in this year's report um, there were there were a couple that were surprising. I mean, one of the trends. Uh, so I break it down into five different categories uh, mm -hmm. for trends. So I've got uh, three each. Um, so I've got 
culture and consumer behavior is one trend, one category. And I've got marketing and social media, media and education, uh, technology and design, and um, economics and entrepreneurship. And so hmm. under each one of those categories, there's three trends. And one of the ones in the culture and consumer behavior that I just kept seeing over and over was um, something that I eventually called selfie confidence. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of flipping the idea of the selfie, which we sort of see as this ultimate in millennial narcissistic behavior, right? Right. We've got to capture everything about us. It's all about us. To actually being a pretty fascinating form of boosting self-esteem among young people because they now have the ability to control the way that they present themselves to the world and therefore shape their identities as a part of that. I, so, yeah, I think I think it's fantastic. Yeah, and so, you know, it kind of flips it a little bit and says, well, you know, yeah, we, you know, you and I combined who aren't millennials, right, tend yeah. to see this as a, um, as a negative thing and we tend to judge uh, when in actuality if you go into that world – the nature of how these selfies are being used is dramatically different. It's really quite fascinating. Well, that's yeah, that's yeah. I'm I I do a lot with selfies. I do the happy. Uh, I like to take a picture with half my face in it because I want. I mean, people know what I look like. I want people to see what's you know what's behind me, and so I take the shot like that and then stick my face on it, to, not to. Uh, there's branding and identity and that kind of thing. It's like to bring the thing alive because, uh, you know, I, I live in Las Vegas. I can take pictures of famous landmarks all day long, and they, and they look like everybody else's pictures of famous landmarks. Uh, but it's different when, it's, when I went and made sure I was standing in a place where the Eiffel Tower was coming out of my head. I know that's not quite like really going to Paris and doing it, but <laughs> but, yep. um, and, but it was me. And so for, for me and for the people that were looking at it, they, they saw me standing there with the Eiffel Tower coming out of my head. And it was a whole different experience, and it fit the story I was telling at the time. And I get that. Uh, of course, I, I was recently called a millennial because millennial is an attitude rather than an um, yeah, right. attitude of digital first. <laughs> Good for you. Uh, Good for you. Misquoted all the time is uh, by 2020, 50% of the workforce will be millennials. Well, if you take the uh, age group that we normally refer to, they're only about a third of the workforce and they can't possibly, they can't possibly grow anymore because they've all been born now. Uh, you know, right. <laughs> we're 15 years since any of them were born. So we're getting really close to the place where there will be more people replacing them uh, each year than could possibly die, <laughs> you know. And that's just if at 65 you took everybody out and shot them. Um, <laughs> so uh, that's one of the trends I'm following, uh, working as a uh, futurist with IBM and look at the future of work. And um, they were talking about the, the millennials. I'm going, like, what are you going to do when 50% of your workforce is over 65? And I can't make a prediction. I can't say that's going to happen, but I see that trend going. Um, and I, I suppose I found a non-obvious one. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> yeah they, they come out uh, in that way. I mean, another one that I uh, focused a lot of time on um, because of the connections, you know, like I said before, in between multiple worlds is, you know, you look at so many tech companies like um, uh, like Google who now are turning towards mindfulness and yoga and making this an element of their practice, right? They have a, a guy who works at uh, Google whose title is Chief Jolly Goodfellow. <laughs> right. Um, you know, and his role is to have mindfulness be an element of what Google's employees' experience is. And so you see a story like that, 
and you put it together with uh, the process that the um, the NFL team, the Seattle Seahawks, have mm-hmm. used for two years now of making mindfulness an element of their training regimen for their players and how there was like this cover story about Russell Wilson, their quarterback, practicing mm-hmm. yoga and you know, kind of having these meditation moments as a part of how he trains, which is very unexpected in the drill sergeant world of the NFL. Right. Um, and, you know, you kind of put those pieces together and you say, well, mindfulness itself is kind of becoming mainstream, whereas it was sort of a fringe idea. And so, you know, that's another one of the consumer trends, mainstream mindfulness. Um, so, so that's how the pieces kind of come together for me. So, so, so what you're saying then is that they didn't have enough time to meditate towards the end of the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, I think they lost it a little bit. At <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, no, what's, what's really fascinating about that is I flash back to reading stuff like that about uh, the se- in the 70s about things changing and, you know, with the EST movement and, uh, you know, some of those other things that were happening back then, um, which um, was seemed to be more of a fad. But as you look at it, it's a trend that, that, that continues that fits in with with everything else, um, and and you know, and I find practical uses for for doing this all the time. I helped out with a uh, a book uh, we put out in 2013 called Billions Rising, talking about uh, um, how there was you know 2.7 billion people that are are uh, may, living on two dollars a day or less, and them coming mainstream and doing more is uh, you know changes everything. People talk to me about Bitcoin. Are we, you know, are we ever going to be able to trust Bitcoin? I'm going like, well, if it means somebody in a rural village can start selling stuff on the internet and take take payments without having to pay enormous fees to get it transferred into their currency, well, yeah, maybe. Uh, <laughs> it makes makes sense. And everything that comes along then focuses on that. And not being that I have a product to sell or anything in that in that uh, in that realm of needing to push it out. I'm just open to finding all sorts of things, and it's changed my thinking about everything that I look at. Uh, and yeah, you're so tell describing, me. I mean, you know, on some level, it's, uh, you know, I mentioned being fickle as one of the habits, but the, you know, the first habit that I talk about for trend curators is curiosity. And, you know, on some level, that's kind of part of what you're describing, that you just need to continually have that curiosity about what people are using, why they're using it, what their motivation is behind it. Um, I mean, that's the, that's the number one thing. Right. And well, and, and one of the facts that I always talk about when I'm talking about Billions Rising being interviewed about that is that we met up with a guy who was, wrote another book and he was, you know, he was much more involved in this than, than I was. I spent, you know, a year, year and a half working on that project. And uh, he's been doing it for 30 years. And he actually goes into the rural villages and spends six hours with the family and says, you know, and, and the thing that really stood out was he said, we need to be able to, to bring all these people up to participating in the, in, in the world economy is they, they've got to start out by having something that they need, a very much a pull. Um, he asks them what they need, and he works a lot in you know, delivering clean water and things like that, but uh, it's Paul Pollack. Uh, and this is a, it's, the book's called The Business Solution to Poverty. Uh, and and what, I, what, I, what I noticed was that he said that we had to just, this is fascinating. We, if we're going to be able to get the kind of uh, results we need, we need to see things that scale like crazy. And he started talking about capitalism. $10 billion company serving 100 million customers, and that it gets down to where a guy who was making $2 can now make 4 um, And that's 
huge, huge scale, and I don't see anybody else talking about that. So there's there are others because I researched it, but you know, yeah. I did. I had to go looking for the rest of them. And then I get into conversation pe- with people, and I talk about you know poverty and things like that, and they go like, well, yeah, we got to raise minimum wage. And I'm like, wait, wait a minute. One hour is multiples of how much somebody makes in a day in other other parts of the world. I'm not getting that. Do you find that uh, that uh, your experience and and travels and and life put you in a, a position to recognize global is a lot more important than a lot of Americans realize? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was in um, Italy last week and um, just speaking with businesses there about what they deal with versus what it happens in the u.s and and the process of finding trends and finding examples from other places i mean you know one of my uh trends that i talk about in the distribution side is uh disruptive distribution which is basically what it sounds like you know the idea that now more companies are selling directly versus uh going through the the middleman types of arrangements and and probably the most powerful example of that is something that a lot of americans may not be familiar with, which is a retailer in Russia called La Moda, which is a um, uh, fashion retailer uh, Mm -hmm. that delivers clothes to consumers' homes, but they have a kind of a twist, which is they have their own delivery force of consultants, and you can order clothes. The consultants will wait while you try on the clothes, decide what you want to keep and what you want to return, and then they'll take it back. And Mm -hmm. their system that they've created, because the... Um, current postal systems within Russia were not that reliable. They built their own. And it's so robust that actually last year they received a 10 million euro grant from the IMF to build it out as an actual uh, supply chain for the country. Wow. So, you know, you think about an example like that, uh, again, yeah, outside of the U.S., but so powerful. And the lessons that that might offer, I mean, we're lucky in, in the U.S. to have pretty good delivery systems uh, right. Of getting stuff. I mean, I can order something and get it the next day, and it's you know almost a hundred percent certain that it will happen. <laughs> right. Um, right. But that's not the yeah, same everywhere. Yeah, and I talk about the you know that we're in the post mask era of uh, of how we are in the in the U.S. because I I really can say I you know I want something delivered uh, and I you know I like the the law of attraction. People say uh, you know if I think about an elephant, it, it doesn't just appear, but uh, other things will, and I'm going like, well, we're getting to where. So I use elephant as an example. If I wanted an elephant delivered to the house, I think it can be done. Um, you know, you know I a don't. funny side story on that. Uh, my my brother actually managed to get. He had a um, Indian uh, half Indian wedding um, for his wedding, uh-huh. and he managed to get an elephant for his wedding in Boston. <laughs> okay. So. <laughs> oh yeah, you've you've just validated my story. I've been saying that for saying that for years, but. I, you know, I operate out of a home office. I don't have to leave to do anything. Uh, you know, most of what I get paid for, I do there. Most of my lead generation, everything is online. And, uh, you know, I, I go someplace mostly to get out of the house. Um, you know, now there are, there are places I go visit a client or do whatever, but it's all on my terms. Right. Um, and it's not the, it's not the revenue generator. And, and literally I'm, I'm, I've, been living this that I can get anything I want. I'm not in. So, I'm not on some remote mountaintop. I, I mean, I could get to the store in t- five minutes. But if I can have Amazon deliver it, why not? Uh, and when you start thinking about that possibility and what it opens up to places that don't have Zappos, because um, it sounds the Russian example sounds just like Zappos. 
Okay, well, um, so wrapping up, tell us, besides buying your book, what, what things should, should we be doing? What's the, what's the secret to success in making these trends make me money and put cash in my wallet? <laughs> um, I'd say the number one thing is um, being disciplined enough to try and learn how to observe the small things that other people miss. Um, a lot of time, a lot of my time is spent uh, just taking the time to think about some of the patterns that emerge in the things that I read. And it's amazing how often we don't do that because we're just, you know, we're too busy. we got other things to do. Um, mm -hmm. And I have, I, I guess I'm a little bit lucky because I kind of have this trend report that forces me to take time to do it. But the idea of forcing yourself to take time to start to see these patterns and use the processes in the book to do it uh, I think is really, really valuable both for planning the future of your business and what you need to change and seeing around the corner, which generally is very difficult to do, especially if things are going well, right? You tend to say, okay, well, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. But we all mm. know that that's not necessarily a recipe to succeed in the long term. No. <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's a recipe for disaster long term. Yeah, people that say, I, I don't need to get into that. You know, the classifieds are going to come back and my newspaper is going to be strong again. Um, you know, yeah, that's right. It's that's ignoring right. the trends at that point. But uh, that one that one just seems so obvious to me and, and seemed obvious. Uh, uh, well, I got to stick in one more story. They uh, back in. Uh, Back in the 70s, I went to college, and my college mentor said, the newspapers are dying. They're, they're as good as dead now. They'll be gone in 50 years. Um, it's been 40 years, almost 40 years since then. They're not gone yet, but um, uh, the fascinating thing about that is the Internet was not at all part of the discussion when we were talking about that. He said the trend was towards broadcast, and, and cable was uh, – Cable wasn't even really there as like a ad medium or anything like that. And this guy's saying, no, you got to see that in the, in the future, these things are going to go away. It's just, and he didn't know why. <laughs> and, uh, and, and like I say, these trends are there. I read a book last, last year that really changed my life. Uh, Obliquity by uh, John Kay, uh, economist in, in the UK. And, um, and he says that, uh, most of the, uh, most of the paths we take uh, are not in a straight line, uh, but having some goal and knowing where you want to go, that doesn't mean that you're going off course. You just, you just you start walking straight towards the goal, you're going to run into a, a lot of obstacles, and then you will get sidetracked. But if you go out and, and you're looking for the opportunities that lead you more to the goals, then it may come in a serendipitous way. So. Where where uh, where can we uh, f find find you and and you know how can I hire you to come put these trends into my business and where where do I buy the book? Uh, so obviously the book will be on Amazon. It's on um, it's on Barnes and Noble. It's currently out in uh, ebook format. Um, mm -hmm. It's been do it's been out for a couple of days. It's actually doing really well. It's uh, I think it's number one in a bunch of different places, and including I think overall mm -hmm. in business, which is really good. Um, and the hardcover will be out in the middle of March. Um, so okay. that's, that part's not out yet. Um, you can learn more about the book uh, by going to nonobviousbook.com. Um, so just you know, straight all one word, or to my website, it's rohitbargava.com. And if you want to see some of the previous reports, um, just the whole series, um, just 15trends.com, which is the number one five trends.com. 
fifteen trillion. Okay, right. And so the uh, obvious the obvious place to go about the book is nonobviousbook.com, um, and uh, that that'll that that we've got to cut it off there because I can't do any more obvious puns. So thank you, for, <laughs> thank you for being here, and uh, I I hope that we can get together and talk about your your trends again. I, I'll put it on my calendar a note to set this up, and we'll do it next year. I would love to do that. And thanks, uh, thanks so much. It's always fun to to speak with you, Warren.